Welcome to the Strictly Anonymous Podcast. Conversations with online strangers. We place ads online. Craigslist is definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Real people respond. You go to Singapore or Thailand. You can't not do it. The temptation is just too much. Real problems. Does your friend know that you're banging her? No, he has no idea. And anything goes. Motto of the show. Let your free flag fly. Probably the only good advice I'll ever give you is to rehide your whips and chains. Here are your hosts, Kathy Kane and Tommy. Hey, welcome to Strictly Anonymous Podcast with Kathy. Uh, if you want to be on the Strictly Anonymous Podcast with me as a guest because you have a problem or you just want to reveal a secret life that you have or you just want to vent out some shit, you could be on the show. I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, email me at strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. Um, I advertise on Craigslist and other places. And uh, just so you know, it's like striking gold when I go on there. I get like the best people from those places. But I also have got really great people to call into my show uh, who were listeners. So I know that there's people out there that are living very interesting lives, secret lives or interesting lives that aren't a secret. Um, or who have problem, a problem or problems <laughs> and they want some unprofessional advice. I'd love to have you on the show. I have a listener to the show back on. He's a guy, Cirque, I think is his name. He's a guy that I had on really recently, a couple uh, weeks back. And, uh, he talked all about all the crazy sexual stuff that he did in his time and uh, afterwards, what happens is they always email these guys afterwards or, and these girls saying, thanks for being on my show, blah, blah, blah. I'll send you an email when your episode is up. And he um, emailed me back and he sort of copped to a bunch of things in the email when he wrote back. This was Cirque. Uh, Cirque wrote me back and said after his episode posted that A, he let his girlfriend listen to it, which was I thought was kind of fucked up because his girlfriend, like shit that he said on there wasn't something that you, most things you wouldn't want your girlfriend to hear because he talked about her. Um, but uh, A, he told me he told his girlfriend and she was like acting weird ever since she listened to it. And then B, he told me that he lied about some stuff or he got like he did kind of lie a little bit about some stuff that he wanted to complain about. And also he went into um, some stuff about his past and his childhood growing up and which he thought was maybe the reason why he, you know, sort of d did or does the things that he does. Uh, because basically he's not so much a cheater. He doesn't really cheat. He just does a lot of like really crazy things sexually. Um, so I was like, let's have you back on the show. We'll talk about the fact that you let your girlfriend listen. I mean, listen to the episode. We'll talk about the fact that you lied and then we'll get into your history, which is really interesting. He comes from a really interesting background. He has a lot of interesting stories. He had a lot of interesting stories on the first podcast and this podcast does not disappoint. It's just as interesting. Cirque's an interesting guy. He's kind of funny if you ask me. Um, but he also, like I said, leads a very interesting life and has an interesting past and that's what we get into. So I'm just going to get right on it and be right back with Cirque. Before I get right back on with Cirque, um, I should do my little intro stuff that I'm supposed to do. Like follow me on Twitter on my personal Twitter is Cartoon Therapy at Cartoon Therapy. Uh, the show's Twitter is at Strict Anonymous. Uh, subscribe to my podcast if you haven't yet subscribed to it. For some reason, I think I, it's great for me for people to subscribe to it, as well as write me a review. I love reviews. I need reviews. Uh, if you could write a review, that would be great. 
Um, also, what else? I think I already said if you want to be on the show. I'm not going to pimp out my book until it's a hard copy because the hard copy is much better. And that's about it. So I'm going to come right back on with Cirque. Or I'll be right back on with Cirque. Do you have a story, lifestyle, or situation you can't talk about to anyone, to anyone? Or do you just want to let your freak flag fly and be on the show? Well, Strictly Anonymous wants to hear from you. Send us an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com with your story and your anonymous name. And remember, everything is Strictly Anonymous. Strictly Anonymous. Hey, Cirque, is that what we call you? You're on the air at Strictly Anonymous Podcast. Cirque, Cirque Part 2, is that what I, I'm going to call you on this call? Because you email me at a different fake name. I'm assuming all your names that I deal with you are fake, right? But, um, and we went through a couple different fake names that you wanted for the podcast, and we um, agreed on Cirque. That's what you want me to call you? Because this is Cirque Part 2, right? Sure. Sure, okay. <laughs> sure. All right, listen, Cirque, I read through... Yeah, what were we gonna say? You want to be Cirque on this call, right? Yeah, you can call me anything. I don't care. You don't you care. Call me. You could call me whatever. Okay, whatever. You want to be called whatever? That's a good name. Um, you can hear me all right, though, right? I could totally hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you fine. Yep. I just check you okay. on the volume. I think you're cool. So, uh, you know, we're having a part two with you because, like, after you were on my podcast, I always send someone, like, a thank you email, and then you wrote back and you settled. You revealed a lot of other things, right? Now, I don't know where yeah. you want to take this call. I have an idea of where I want to take it, sort of, like, a little bit deeper into, like, who you are as a person and also, like, the little thing about the, the, the girlfriend. So it would be, like, two things. Some of the stuff that you revealed in an email to me after the podcast about, like, your history and where you came from and why maybe you are the way that you are. But the other thing was, which I want to get into first is that you emailed me right after and like, oh, I told my girlfriend about your podcast and it's been weird ever since. And I thought that was very passive aggressive of you and pretty indicative of some sort of like commitment issue maybe or something because who the (laughs) fuck would tell their girlfriend to listen after what you said? What'd you say? I said, uh, I, I, I was, I was trying to fill in a word for you, and that word was character flaw. I was thinking that you were saying that I had some sort of a character flaw. I think that maybe uh, on some level you do think I have a character flaw. No. Listen, I think most people are born perfect, and then we get really fucked up just because we're human beings and we need to be fucked up, and then we work on that shit. So is it a character flaw, or is it just like you know some sort of dysfunctional? Like you mentioned in one of your emails to me that the word commitment issue, so you obviously think you have them you know I'm not putting that on you but you think that and I just think you know you telling your girlfriend to listen because listen I, I, I'm assuming you remember what you said on that podcast and I do it was like right after you let her listen you said things like I'm like doctor guy I don't even care about relationships like if I lose her I'll just find somebody else like nobody that's in love with somebody wants to hear their person say that do you know what I mean but yet right. you let yeah. her listen to that it's like you gave it to her in a silver platter and said here here you go I don't really care about you that much like why would you do that there's something passive aggressive about that to me it's because I'm an idiot Mm -mm, mm -mm, no way dude I call bullshit on that okay and if you want to call in for a part two and you want to get in and maybe have me psychoanalyze you a little bit deeper which we agreed to in those emails I feel like then you're not going to be able to take that because you have this sort of 
outside appearance of like very casual. I don't give a shit. And it is kind of, it does work for you. It is very charming. It is kind of hilarious. And I think you get away with murder because of it. But I think it's a little bit of bullshit. And I'm sure your girlfriend would agree with me or anybody that knows you really well would agree. That sort of thing that you put out there, which is like, oh, I can't help it. Like this victim-y sort of funny, laid back, I just do whatever I want vibe is something else, okay? I don't buy it. If I'm gonna if we're gonna go deep, you know what I mean? I'd buy it on a surface level because it's a good made for a good podcast. But I think that that whole like I can't help it thing is a fucking act. Like that's bullshit. I I think that it's deeper than that. Why would you let your girlfriend listen to that podcast? Um. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let's find out. Let's yeah. Find what out do you mean? Um. Me. What would you you get off What's that podcast? What is wrong with you, dude? Let's go back to your history because you know you revealed a couple things in your email to me that were fascinating about your upbringing and your background. You said you thought you had you know post traumatic stress disorder, which I totally believe in, and I'm sure that's a part of it. And you went into some stuff about your parents that were fascinating. Like your mom was like 15, right, when she had you, and your dad. You want to just explain the stuff that you said? Like, it's cool for me to bring it up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, we can, we can talk about that. Okay, like, your dad was in jail for murder, right? And you said a lot of people in your family had been murdered. So, like, what's with your murderous history? That's, like, the second time I use that word. Is that a word, murderous? <laughs> is murderous a uh, word? It's not? Yeah, mur- it, it's, it's a word. Oh, okay, murderous I really like word. it. I really like that word. I'm going to use it more often, and I'm glad I get to use it on this podcast. So you have a murderous history, okay? Like, you come from a murderous <laughs> background, right? Like, your dad literally murdered people and was in jail, right? Well, he he was a drug dealer. Okay. Um, my dad was the baddest motherfucker in, around. Okay. Around. Wait, um, is your dad still alive? You're talking about him in the past tense, or is he still in jail? Like, what's the deal with him now? Honestly, I don't know. I've only I've only spent about two days with him in my whole life. Okay, so let's go back. Uh, so he was the baddest motherfucker around. What do you mean if you only know him for two days? Like you just like the history well, of him or the, the story thing. of him? Mm-hmm. I it's so it's such a small world. I work with uh, I work with a dude who grew up with my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, so a, a lot of the stories that I hear about him come from people that I know that aren't my family, and some of them are my family. And obviously, like, my family always tried to protect me from having any kind of judgment mm-hmm. about myself based on who my dad was. Right, you know totally. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, my mom always used to tell me that my dad was this great dude. You know, he was he was very artistic. He was he was a musician. One time, like, I was downstairs in the basement when I was 15 years old, just shredding on my left paw and my Marshall stack. And my dad or my mom comes downstairs and she sees me and she starts bawling. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, you look just like your dad. Oh, dad right. Played a Les Paul uh-huh. and a Marshall. <laughs> How old you know? was your dad so, so, when your mom was 15 and she got pregnant with you? How old was your father? Do you know? He was like 19 okay. or maybe 18. Like, and did they, they stay in touch? Did they st- were they together uh, for oh, a while? No. It no, was just... my, after my dad went to prison, um, my mom never wrote him letters or anything like that. He was—I mean—he killed somebody. He's—he's he's not. I'm not, I don't want to 
say he's a good guy, but I don't want to say he's a bad guy. Either. No, you know what like, my therapist so he, would say? Both things exist. Like I learned that from my therapist. Right. Like you always, we always want to put people in one category. You know, someone's good or they're bad. But a lot of people are both good and bad. You know, like that different things can the same, like those two things can exist in the same person. And it's very hard to wrap your head around that at most times because right. a lot of people, I know for me, I always like to be black and white. It makes more sense to my, my logical brain. But um, most of the time, you know, you have to accept both things. So I think it's really great that your mom as a woman, you know, sort of, you know, fostered the, the positive things of your, your father in right. your, in your mind for you, because a lot of women don't do that. And I think that that's great. But like, what if, but when you say like, so he got her pregnant and then went into jail. Like, I mean, do you know what happened in their relationship at all? I mean, yeah, I do. I know the reason. Okay. So. I'm working with this guy that grew up with my, with my mom and my dad, mm-hmm. and he said, "So did 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 you ever forgive your aunt?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "I'm like, well, well, forgive her for what?" And she's like, "You know, for fucking your dad and making your mom and dad oh. break up." Oh, interesting. So my my dad cheated on my mom with her sister. Oh my god, I have a friend whose sister fucked her boyfriend. Like that's serious shit. That right there. Okay. Yeah, that's a deal breaker, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't have mattered anyway because you went to prison for 15 years. Okay, but wait, don't jump to that. So wait, he screwed your mom's sister. How old was your mom's sister? Do you know? Is she older or younger? She's younger. Oh my God. So he was 19 screwing like a 12-year-old. I mean, that might Pretty be, much. he, he might have, the story might be. I never, this, I never did that math, but yeah, you're right. It yeah, that's called rape math. Okay, the story might be your dad got your mom <laughs> pregnant and then he raped her. Her sister. <laughs> that's not not only that, but when I okay, so one day me and my mom are drinking some wine, and I was like, "Mom, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, didn't you know that my dad was kind of a dead end? And <laughs> like, what, why'd you even fuck him?" And she says, "Well, I didn't actually consent to it." Oh, so he one, <laughs> does, one does not simply tell one does not simply tell my dad no. My dad was a bad motherfucker. I'm telling you, he was like a kingpin in the city that I that I mm-hmm. not grew up in, but was born in. Right. So at 19, even at 19, he was already establishing that relationship as this like badass criminal dude. Well, he killed people. At how how old and how did he kill them? Like, was it straight up he, like drug dealing, that kind of stuff, or like I, like? Yeah. What happened was they he was in a hotel. They or a motel, rather. It's, it's some reservoir dog shit, man. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his buddy were in a motel. They got a motel, and they were slinging heroin and cocaine out of this motel, and they were cutting it. They were cutting it mm-hmm. too much to the point where it was like, this isn't fucking cocaine anymore. This isn't heroin anymore. This is some bullshit. Mm-hmm. And some people got pissed and they came after him. They wanted their money back. And uh, the story that I heard is that um, his friend let the, the, they were banging on the door of the motel. Um, his friend let him in, and my dad was in the like behind or up, like aside the door, like so that you couldn't see him. Mm-hmm. And he had a lamp, and he just cracked the lamp over this dude's head. Mm-hmm. This dude had a gun. Like, this guy was going to either get his money or he was going to kill my dad. Right, right. And 
and my dad clonked him over the head with a lamp, and he died from brain hemorrhaging. Okay, so he didn't, like, maybe he wasn't meaning to kill him. Maybe he was just trying to knock him out so he didn't kill him. I don't know. You know, we don't know the mind of your dad, but did he, but he killed other people, right? Was this the only person? That was the only person that I heard of. Oh, okay. I thought the, that 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 was the reason why he went to prison for fifteen years. That and drug charges. Right, and that happened when he was nineteen. When you were like in utero, like you were like your mom hadn't even given birth to you yet. No, I was like okay. So he was in my life until I was around two years old. Okay. So, uh, this is why. This, like, I'm sorry, know. but this is why you have to judge Judy people into corners because, like, you tell a story and it sounds one way, but if you really ask specific questions, it gets a little bit different, which is more interesting to me. So you were around two. So yeah. he was in your life for two years. So he was maybe 21. Maybe when he fucked my aunt, my aunt was probably 15 or 16. She might not have been 12. She probably wasn't. Okay, so your parents were together though for those two years, or your dad was for like two years. Yeah. Okay, so your dad was in your life for those two years. Yeah. Okay. And then he screwed. But I don't. Your I don't aunt. remember when I was two. Yeah. See, so maybe your father wasn't raping a twelve-year-old. Maybe he was like fondling a fourteen-year-old. You know, things change when the story changes. You know, that rape math right, changes right, a right. little bit because it's two years later now, right? So, right. So he, while your mom, while after your mom has you as a as a child, and you, they're together, kind of like raising you. They don't get married or anything. I'm assuming, right? No, they did actually. My mom actually married him. Okay, so they got married after you were born. Yeah. Okay. I assume. Okay. And then he screwed your mom's sister and they broke up, obviously, and got divorced, right? Yeah. And then he killed somebody in the hotel? Yeah. Okay. And then, and how long after they got divorced? Like, how old were you when he went to jail? I think, I think he was around, I I can only do the math because I, you know, I'm too young to really know, but I'm thinking probably around. 21 years old maybe mm-hmm. okay so you would definitely like I would think listen we don't think that we have any kind of even if we don't have memory of those first couple of years those are really the formative years and I believe that those are definitely the years and the months and the days that we form all of our attachment um, you know sort of abilities like or that's where we get attachment issues or get you know in those beginning years so I feel like you would definitely have abandonment issues if you had this person in your life for those two years I'm assuming you don't have any memory of it right yeah I, I, I agree with what you just but said. then he leaves you know so that would definitely give you a sense of abandonment for sure and you you know you would have those kind of issues so he goes to jail now does your mom so your mom never writes him never communicates with him in jail but she does create like a positive image of your father for you all those years, but you never were taken to see him and she never kept in touch with him or anything like that. Right. No, no. Do you remember your, like how old you were when you heard the story or let, when it was explained to you where your dad was and what was going on? Because like, you know, you don't remember having a dad, right? So you just grew up knowing your mom, like, and when did you start having questions of like who your father was and where the fuck was he now? Oh, like around five, I'm like, how come I don't have a dad? How come all my friends have dads? Where's my dad? Right. And then what was told to you at that time? My dad, or my mom told me that my dad was a really good dude, but he's in a place where he can't can't see me. But he would if he could. 
Right. Okay. And then when you got any like older to like really be able to comprehend that more, like was there ever a time that you wanted to reach out to him and that you, that you knew that that place that he was in, that he can't contact you was jail, right? Eventually you realized that that was jail, right? Yeah. And then at that point, did you ever have the desire yourself to sort of reach out to him, write him a letter or go visit him or anything like that? No, no. And when was how old were you when it, you found out what he was in jail for? Like, what does that impact on you? You know, when you find out like your dad actually like killed somebody, do you remember realizing like how old you were when you had to sort of take all that in? I was probably around fifteen years old. Right. And how did you find out? Was it something that your mother told you, or did you find out in one of these weird ways that you say that you know from a stranger on the street or your coworker or something? Well, my aunt was okay. My my aunt, mm-hmm. the one that he cheated on my mom with, mm-hmm. she really loves my dad. Mm-hmm. She loves him, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, and and she would talk about him all the time. You know, like she would just she would just tell me. I mean, most of the, what I know about my dad, I learned from my aunt or from the guy I worked with who grew up with him. Mm-hmm. And so who told you about, like, oh, this is why your dad's in jail, that story, or, like, that he killed somebody? Like, you remember at 15 figuring that out. How did you find out? Did your aunt tell you? Yes. Right. And how, like, I don't even, I can't even imagine. Like, I can't imagine because that's, I don't know anyone that's ever done that. But, like, how does that make you feel, like, on the deepest level when you find that out about your dad? Well, the thing is, is that it wasn't just my dad. My whole family was involved in organized crime and just shady shit. You like, mean your mom's all, side? Well, yeah, on my mom's side, too. I, don't, I never really even knew anybody on my dad's side. Right, okay. But, like, my, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she, she married a dude that was a former Maryland cop that came to where I live as a part of a witness relocation program. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he turned state's evidence on some, on some shit that he was involved in that he was guilty of. He ratted on, on, his, on his... Co-workers. Good news. Strictly Anonymous Podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So if you lead an interesting, naughty secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool too. Send me an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. That's strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to my website, strictlyanonymouspodcast.com. Dot com and click on be on the show. If you have a short confession that you want to get off your back, call my confessions hotline 347-420-3579. That's 347-420-3579. You could call that number 24-7. I change all the voices on the confessions too. So you remain anonymous. The number, the website, and the email address will all be in the description. Yeah, with mm-hmm. mob, basically, the police. But he was a part of it, but he was the one that sort of s- s- ratted, like you say, or snitched on the thing, and then he was put in the, and he got out, and that, and he was put in the witness protection Yeah, program. but that didn't stop, that never stopped him. He, what what he was doing, okay, so this, my grandpa fought in Korea, mm-hmm. he was in a tank battalion, and then after after the war was over, he came back 
to the States and you lived in Baltimore and he was, he was a cop and he was, a, he was corrupt. He was a corrupt cop. Mm-hmm. And um, internal affairs came down on his little crime ring and he turned state's evidence. They put him in a witness relocation program and sent him to the West where I live and that he met my grandma and my grandma, I mean, I, like I told you, like I'm on a scale of one to 10. I mean, everybody in my family really attractive. Okay. <laughs> my grandma was gorgeous. Okay. And he, and he was a powerful, like this is really where the power of men, according to me, comes from, mm-hmm. is their, their fearlessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're willing to die, you can do anything. Right. I mean, if you're not afraid of that, you can you can accomplish anything because right. you have nothing to lose. And you feel that women are very attracted to that sort of fearlessness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And but sometimes I believe that like men and women, the the or women get attracted to men who are sort of deep down inside weak, and they but they they're sort of bar, you know those those kind of guys. There's a lot of men who sort of project that fearlessness, but they're actually like wusses deep down inside. I know a lot of those kind well, of guys. You know what I'm saying? But you, you know you're, what, we're, we're all like that. We're, everybody's no, there are right no, but there are some people that are truly fearless, and then there's some people that are gripped by fucking fear. Okay, some of the guys that I know that are the most weakest men are the most meanest loudmouth big muscle head dudes that are their bark is so much bigger than their bite I know a couple of those people and they exist and we all know deep down inside they're weak but there are some people that are fucking fearless and I do like those people and I am attracted to those people and I do high five those people because that person does exist and it is there is power in that you know because fear holds you back you know when you can look fear in the face and say fuck off I'm gonna like go into it that is to me the definition of someone that's you know powerful over somebody that's not so uh but let's well, get back love. to yeah okay that's whatever just love okay really <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> we could get into analyzing i don't know that's like going to a whole other place but listen we're not stoned okay so you're okay. so go back to your story so your grandfather marries your your grandma because she's hot and she's attracted to the fact that he's powerful and kills people so how do they get together so they get together and then they have your mom no, no, that was, this was my step-grandma. Oh, God, oh, my God. Okay. My grandma. Your my family grandma tree has a lot of branches on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? That guy was abusive to pretty much everybody in my family. Everybody in my family hates that man, except me and my mom. He was so good to us. Okay. But he treated everybody else like shit. It's weird. Mm-hmm. So he, so he marries a woman... And then he married, He has a baby with somebody else, and that's your mother. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No. Uh, Focus. Okay. It's hard for me to. It's hard for me to explain it without using names or pseudonyms. So no, my but, grand, yeah. Okay. So all of my all of my aunts. I have one. I have four aunts, a mom, and an uncle. Mm-hmm. So they had. Okay, they had five kids. Three aunts, my mom, and an uncle. Mm-hmm. And then she divorced that dude because he was a fucking raging alcoholic and was not present. And this- who this grandmother of yours, this pretty grandmother who married the Baltimore, you know, snitch cop. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was her second husband. That was her second husband. Okay, but then she has a third one who winds up to be your real grandfather, right? No, 
Oh my god, I'm so fucking confused. Let's get to the point where she fucks some guy and she has your mother, okay? That's the first one. That's the first one, the Baltimore guy? No, the Baltimore guy is the second one. Okay, so before him, she wants... So this is where... Because what we're getting into is the fact that other people in your family are corrupt too on your mom's side not just your dad so basically what you're saying because i initially asked you a question like how did it make you feel when you found out your dad was like a murderer you know and you were like well i guess i'm assuming it wasn't that crazy because you had been dealing with the fact that your whole family sort of had this sort of tainted past right like other people in your family so you had this you know step-grandfather that was like you know a cop gone bad and did stuff then you had other people in your family that were that way as well. Yeah, a lot of my a lot of my family members have, are been to prison, and a lot of them have been murdered, and a lot of them have killed people. Who's been murdered, and how did they get murdered? Well, the first I, the first person in my family that was murdered, he was murdered by his stepdad, and this, he was my cousin, mm-hmm. and his his stepdad. Killed him while his mom was working. Like he was crying. He, we were little. We mm-hmm. were the same age. We were like four. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of your mother's sisters or brothers' kid. It was my mom's cousin. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So he was murdered by somebody by the stepfather when he was sleeping. You remember that happening? No. Well, I. He, I there's pictures of us playing. Mm-hmm. Like my mom would show me show me pictures mm-hmm. and I'd be like who's that kid and she would tell me that it's my cousin and then I'm like where is he and then she told me right that that killed him um okay so who out like so who else so you know I believe that listen even if we don't sort of have like vivid memories about these stuff these things imprint in us on some level even when everything that's going on when we're young I don't remember anything about my childhood but I know I got fucked up from it so there had to been stuff that you know I sort of experienced but blocked out of my memory that subconsciously you know rules my life right and that's definitely what happens to most of us that's what it's all about, right? So all this stuff was being put on you when you were younger. And even though you don't have a memory on it, on some level, it's subconsciously you pick that up and then it like sort of plays out in your life on a certain level, right? Have you ever been in jail or any of that kind of thing yourself? Yeah. Yes, I have. What, for what? <clears throat> the first, I got arrested <laughs> when I was 14 mm-hmm. for assault with a deadly weapon. What was the weapon? Like, was it like a you knife? Know, and you were trying to kill somebody? Like, what was the deal? What happened? I wasn't, I wasn't even trying to kill anybody. I was just trying to exert, exert my dominance. Mm-hmm. In a fight with another guy? Yeah. Was it over a girl? Like, really what was a kid. Fight I mean, I was a right. kid. Yeah. This, and this you, was a kid. Why were you ha- carrying a knife around just for, like, for protection? To be badass? Well, I lived in, I lived in L.A. and I was getting jumped all the time. I you were living in the bad area so you were right so it was like sort of you were in survival mode you were put in a a pretty i mean listen i'm sure a lot of people can understand if you're raised in that kind of you know a neighborhood you start to be exposed to things way before you probably should be you know right and you had to be in survival mode at a very young age and sort of learn how to take care of yourself so that's what you were doing yeah right i remember the first time the first when i moved okay so i was born in utah we moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. We ultimately moved back because 
I was either going to go to prison or die in L.A. Right. Because I was, because I was, I was doing bad shit. Mm-hmm. I was, and and really, Kathy, I mean, it was just like I wasn't, I'm, I wasn't trying to be bad. It's just when you're in a bad environment, the only way to not become a victim. That's lovely. You think that I am a, a victim in my relationship? <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. But I will bring it back have, to all that. Don't worry about the, that. I'm on you, it. You you have to be you have to be a predator. You have to mm-hmm. kind of uh, stifle your conscience. I listen. I understand kinda, that. I, I do understand that. Though I wasn't raised that way. I do believe in oppression, and I do believe you know when you're so powerless and you're in an environment where you're you're pretty much powerless, or you're you know you have a lot of people around you that are coming after you. You have to sort of go sometimes one way in a certain direction that you know probably isn't considered right but it's understandable if you really think about it you know what i mean in the position that you're in like i understand oh, I, I, you know i don't know i've totally never been so anything. oppressed in my life but i understand why a lot of people that are oppressed wind up becoming pr- criminals and stuff because when you are just that when that's put on you so much how do you expect these people not to go down the path of sort of taking the law into their own hand when they have no say in fucking anything you know what i mean and so how do you it's the same thing with people in your position you know you put a young kid in a sort of a badass neighborhood where you know like you say you're being jumped or shit could be happened to at all time and say oh don't carry a knife or you know and just be a victim right and walk around helpless all the time like you sort of just it's it's survival you're a human being so i could understand it in a way um so i could un- i could understand it i believe when you take things out of context like you could sit there and judge a lot of people but when you do it within context and you really get some let someone really explain sort of why they did what they did a lot of times I, I couldn't I could completely understand it and it doesn't make you a terrible person no you made poor choices but you were a child you know 14 years old is very young you know you weren't uh you didn't get dealt a good hand of cards you know that so you didn't have many choices and you chose the wrong one but like listen we all sort of did I'm sure you paid the consequences to all the shit that you did when you were younger that's what really winds up happening that's why you make a choice to be a good person or a bad person when you get a little older that happened to me I I ruined my life through my own choices by being rebellious because of shit that happened to me and then at a certain point I realized like if I don't want to keep digging myself out of fucking deep holes I got to choose to do the right thing. You know, and when you get older, you realize you have those choices more and more if you create that sense of, you know, if you get out of that oppressed place where you are. So I'm assuming you well, paid the consequences for a lot of that shit that you did. Yes. Good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. Right. Exactly. I think you said that in one of your emails to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you did a lot of bad things. You wound up in jail for the first. So I'm assuming you were in jail a couple times. I've been in jail three times. Right. I love how you, I love how every time I ask a question that I think makes you kind of uncomfortable, the jail questions, you go, <clears throat> it's, it's like a tell of uncomfortable. It's a tell, right? Yeah, it's a total yeah. tell. It's like when someone touches their nose, like I'm like a, a fucking, I could work for the CIA. It's like those little things that, you know, I know I'm sort of making you say something you don't really want to, but whatever. No one really knows who you are. And uh, I think on some level, sometimes it's kind of cathartic to let shit out and just tell who you are and tell the real story, you know, and be okay with every part of who you are. Do you know what I mean? Because I think what most people are always doing is sort of rewriting history and pretending that 
they're better than they are, but deep down inside, they know exactly who they are. And that does you a disservice. If you're sort of honest with who you are and you explain yourself, I think you could feel better about that for all your flaws, you know? So you were in jail three times. The first time it was for, you know, assault with a deadly weapon. What were the other two times for? Um, well, Let's see. I went to jail once with public intoxication and once was uh, Grand Theft Auto. I, I used to steal cars. You used to steal cars? <laughs> I used to steal Someone cars. stole my car, you <laughs> fucking asshole. Okay? I had my car stolen, you fucking asshole. And you know what those people did that pissed me off more than anything? Because my car was found, okay? They changed all of my radio station and they got pretzel salt all over the back of the seats of my car, okay? And that's what really irritated me. <laughs> Right, it's a violation. Yeah, they violated my good music with their bad music. Okay, I was really pissed off. Um, and they were. I completely understand. <laughs> I don't know if you That's did. So funny. I don't know if you did that shit to people's car, but well, you know what? You're I, gonna steal I, someone's I, I, car. You know, you know what I did? I moved the mirrors. I changed the mirrors. Oh, I moved the seat even back worse. A little bit. Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. <laughs> <laughs> the nerve of you. <laughs> I got my car back because they were like dealing drugs. They also left a couple like, you know, sort of gloves and some needles in my car. I wasn't so much concerned about that, but the pretzel salt and the the bad music really pissed me off. So, okay, so you stole cars and all that stuff and you went, how, how long was the longest you were ever in jail? Oh, probably three months. Really? I did most of the shit when I was a juvenile. So they really could You were in juvie jail. on me. Right. What is juvie jail like? Are well, you like actually, locked in a room? Actually, well, okay. I went to adult jail once, mm-hmm. and I went to juvie jail twice. Was adult jail way way worse? I'm assuming adult jail was the real deal jail, and juvie jail is not so hardcore. I went to adult jail on my public intoxication charge because I didn't have a, an ID. Mm-hmm. But they, I was. I mean, I'm 15 years old. I'm six foot two. I'm, I mean, I'm built like a fucking linebacker, mm-hmm. right? I'm a big dude. And I was so fucked up that they couldn't, they just took me to adult jail because they just assumed I was an adult. Right. But for the three months that you were in, it was juvie jail, right? Yeah. And what was juvie jail like? Like, are you really like locked in a room in juvie jail or is it more like, you know, a big room with like beds and stuff? Like, what is the deal there? You know what it's like? It's like it was like high school. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it, that's what it was. It was it was high school that you just didn't get to go home from. Right. It's like I there was no like, three o'clock bell and you got to leave. <laughs> well, there was a three o'clock bell, but you just went to a cell instead of home. So you, I'm a claustrophobic. That's why I get obsessed with the questions about like, were you locked in a room? Like I would never do anything bad because I could never go to jail because I could never be locked in a room. I would flip out, you know. But so, but were you? So you were locked in a room at the end of the day, even in juvie jail. Honestly, I feel I felt safer in jail than I did in high school. Yeah, well, listen, I'm sure that's how a lot of people that, like, you know, these poor criminals that grow up in these really oppressed areas are, you know, feel. And, you know, I, I, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's kind of like the same thing. And I read this one article, and I always have this, this um, sort of saying that I say to people, like, don't put up pictures in your jail cell. And I get that saying from this article that I read about this famous Washington Post writer guy. He was this guy who grew up in a very 
uh, tough neighborhood and he went down the wrong path and he wound up in jail and he became a success story because he did his time in jail and he got out and he became, like I said, this writer for the Washington Post, which is huge, you know, and, and he was being interviewed and they said to him, like, why do you think that you, you know, went to jail and got out where so many other people like go to jail and then they just become like sort of, uh, you know, repeat offenders and they keep coming back to jail. And he said, you know, because I never put pictures up in my jail cell. He said, what happens to people that they go in jail? Like they almost become safe in there and they make their environment good and they put up pictures and they get a TV and they're comfortable there and it's easier for them there. I never did that. So I made, I never made jail like a a safe place for me to be. You know, he's like, I never put up pictures in my jail cell. And that's like why he never wanted to go back. Right. Cause it wasn't that safe place to him, but that's why a lot of other people do. And it makes sense. You know, when something's not so good in your life, you don't want to make it comfortable you know like I've had friends that have had bartending jobs and they're like I hate my bartending job I'm like well that's good don't fucking put up pictures there because you don't want to stay a bartender when you're 50 right so like it's kind of a little sort of uncomfortableness in a bad situation is good because that's what's eventually going to propel you out of there and make you never go back right so you felt a little safe there of course because you were from a scary place like when you have to carry a knife at 14 because you're being jumped at all times like that's fucking scary yeah, but that's the only thing that, I, like, I don't, I don't really know anything else. When my grandpa got out of prison, uh-huh. the the guy from Baltimore, uh-huh. he he spent seven years in a federal prison, and when he got out, we were having coffee, and he referred to the time that he spent in the joint as his vacation. Right. Yeah. Right. He didn't have to do anything. He wasn't. Ha- he didn't have to hustle anymore. Like right. he's being taken care of. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, life is difficult. They, they That happens to, like, uh, I saw this one interesting thing about guys involved in, like, uh, professional sports. Like, they, a lot of them go out when it's, like, their time to retire. They become very wayward because when they're on this team, everything is sort of done for them. You know, it's like this alter universe. It's why people can't even get out of college and get jobs a lot of times, or people become perpetual, high, you know, college people because they just want everything sort of done for them, Right. When you go out to real life and you graduate college or whatever, if you do your life that way, it's like now it's a free-for-all. You make your life. You know what I mean? You have to figure out what to do. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. So any kind of, you know, place where you could go that it's sort of put on you and you're told what to do, a lot of people buy into that because it is easier in a way. But it's bullshit because I don't think life is about taking the easy way. I think life is about taking the harder way and figuring out the harder thing to do because that is most of the well, time a lot the that's right how way. we grow. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's, that's how we develop as a human being. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you get out of jail finally. When do you go straight? Because I'm figuring you're more straight now, right? Because you, on the last call, you told me you had this really good job. You know, I know you're not straight in your sex life and your relationships, and we'll get back to that. But when do you sort of go no, straight totally and start? Straight. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm totally straight in my sex life. I'm not fucking around anymore. Okay, but what I mean is like... I've been monogamous for two years. Okay, great. But what what I mean is when did you go straight in your sort of life and get a job and clean your act up? And like at what age were you when you decided to sort of do the right thing as a person? You remember that last... On my last call when I told you that I moved from L.A. to Utah and I met a girl? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She straightened me out. Okay, and how old were you then again? You were young. You were like 23? I... 17, 16, 17. Okay, cool. I mean, that's young in most people's life, but in your life, you had already lived a lot. So at 16, you were like, you know, been there, done that kind of thing. Well, I, st- I mean, I was still, I was still stealing cars. That was, I mean, I was in trouble still. I, you see, what happened was I learned how to commit crimes. Mm-hmm. 
that in LA that that Utah had never even seen. They had no concept of just full frontal criminal assault. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. They were more so shielded when, from when that. I, they were shielded from that because well, it wasn't so they bad. They were so naive. Like you're right, when totally. I came here from LA, every, you, you could just rob people blind here. Mm-hmm. I I actually saw like this is in the nineties, but like I would go into Seven Elevens or convenience stores, and I would see pictures of like drawings of me on on the door saying like it used to be this person called <laughs> and they wouldn't even notice you right there well I was very identifiable because I was into you know I mean I was into punk rock when I was in LA I was I didn't want to be a gangbanger I didn't mm-hmm. want to be I didn't want to wear a uniform ironically I just wore the punk rock uniform I had a mohawk and like a nose ring and, mm-hmm all sorts of stupid piercings and anarchy symbols all right. over me and, like, mm-hmm. band fucking patches and shit. So, I mean, you could pick me out. Like, I was the dude with the... I had, a, I had an earring hanging out of my nose that had a grenade. It was like a hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> so funny how, like... So I it's so try to be when we... Like, when I think back to the stuff that I did when I was younger and I was very bad when I was younger, but not, like, as bad as you, but as bad as I could have been. I just think, oh, my God. I was, like, so try to be. What do you mean? <laughs> Not as bad as me. Well, no, I mean, I wasn't in my, like, I, no, no, no. You, What I mean is I never wound up in jail or pulled a knife, but like, you know, I also didn't have your same background, you know, for me. Yeah, but you probably broke a bunch of hearts. I was stealing cars while you were really making, making no, I was actually probably cry. I was very ridiculous with guys, but no, my thing was I was very against authority. I got thrown out of three high schools. Like I really took my sort of edge. I was always like super smart and always put in really great classes, but I just like took my education. I was like, go fuck yourself, and like didn't really care. And I and I rebel. I was very rebellious, and then I became very promiscuous. That's sort of how I acted out. But I didn't do, like, things against the law, so I never... Because I told you I had claustrophobia. Like, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go to jail or be locked up. That would flip me out. I had claustrophobia from very early on, I remember having that. So that was my biggest fear. So I was... That's as bad as I got. It's just a different kind of bad, whatever, you know. Um, But... (laughs) But... So you get eventually straight in that... That girl sort of... You're still stealing when you got to... You were still stealing cars when you got to Utah. You're saying when you saw those people... Those pictures of yourself in 7-Eleven, that was in Utah, right? That followed you there? Yeah. Yeah. And then that girl got you straight? Because did you, like, tell her, hey, babe, like, let's go steal a car one night? Like, did she figure out what you were doing? Or did you tell her? No. I mean, she knew. She -hmm. knew what I was doing. She knew who I was hanging out with. Mm -hmm. Like, I... (laughs) The thing is, okay, something else that... This probably has something to do with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's 15 years old when she has me. Mm-hmm. I never spent more than two grades in the same school. I was constantly trying to earn friends. Like, I was always the new kid. Right, always. right, right. Mm-hmm. That's tough. And, you know, so, yeah. So what what happens in that situation is that you're you're trying to impress people all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when you're trying to impress people, you're doing... Things that you know are stupid, but you you do them anyway, just because you want to be you want to be accepted more than anything. 
Right, and you and you, really you might not that. have a long time, so you just that's the that's the quick way to get accepted, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That's well, interesting. I, mean, I would it never. Might not even just. Yeah. It might not even just be the quick way, but it's the only way I could figure out how to when I was that young. Right. That's interesting. I mean, because I, I didn't have that experience, but I bet you a lot of people that moved a lot in their life would totally relate to the, what you just said, which is like, oh, you feel bad for that person. You know, you don't know that that young kid that's being moved around is having these sort of feelings of needing to be accepted and then going to, you know, sort of selling himself out to do it, you know? Yeah, well, it speaks to the whole idea of not putting up pictures in yourself, right. not getting too comfortable, not setting up a home base anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I never felt like I had a home. Well, that's even worse than what I was saying. My my way is like it's a good thing not to set up for you. You didn't even have that time. You were you never had the time to sort of put pictures up in any place, even in a place that was good, because you were constantly moving and you had no choice in that matter because you were really young. And I think right. it's very so scary. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I have commitment phobia, if I have commitment issues, it's because every time when I was a kid that I made a, a best friend, mm-hmm. I knew it was just a matter of a, a grade that I was going to have to say goodbye and make a new friend and start over. Right. But I remember, you know, I think that you value your friendships. I remember in our first call, you talked about a guy that you were friends with, the guy who you fucked his girl. Like you said, like that was like your really good friend. And you spoke very highly of him and how important his friendship was to you. And I'm assuming now that's because of you didn't get to sort of hold on to your friends, but it was meaningful for you. And I think as far as you could be a lot more commitment phobic and a lot more colder than you really are. I think you do have a sense of like really valuing people in your life and creating deep relationships that last in whatever way you can. And you do do that to the best of your abilities because you have had long-term relationships with women. You've had long-term friendships with men and that's good considering your past because some people can't do that after going through what you went through. So that's a good thing that you've done for yourself. You know what? You know what? Why? Why? Psychedelic drugs. Psychedelics. Stop. Please. I don't think so. No, I think that that, no, I don't think it's drugs, dude. I think it just, I think it's a part, I think that's a part of your character. I think we're all a mix and we were born with certain personality traits and stuff and uh, like who we really are deep down in soul. That's like deep down inside. I said soul. (laughs) That's like a Freudian slip, like who we really are as a person. And then that (laughs) gets messed up because of stuff that's put on, but it's, it's who we always are. I think you're just like a lover, not a hater. And that's what it is. I don't think it's drugs that made you that way. I really don't I think that's just a part of who you are you like closeness and you want it and you're attached to that human being part of you and I think every human being part human being has that need and that desire some people though pull those plugs out because of bad shit that happens to them and they don't know how to plug back in you never pull that plug because you stay true to who you are no matter what happened so I don't buy that psychedelic drugs did that shit to you it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard Well, it could be a combination between my girlfriend and my girlfriend was at that time was the person who was we were I was doing psychedelics with. Yeah, but it was also who you are as a person, just who you are, the the strength in you, the the good part of you. The, you know, the good character parts of you that made you sort of made it important to foster good relations in your life and keep them. That's something that you could say about yourself. It's not about anybody else, I don't think, than you. Because you can't sort of do anything for someone unless they want to do it for yourself. I've helped, I've tried to, like, I have a saying, like, if you lead a horse to water and it doesn't drink, fucking shoot it, okay? Because I can't tell you how many people I've tried to help or something, but they just choose not to, you know, and that's just, because it's ultimately it's someone's choice. So you really helped yourself sort of better yourself to be as good as you are now considering your background and that's that's a kudos to you 
from you. Not drugs, not your girlfriend, whatever. But, you know, why, but why do you, okay. I agree with you. I agree with you to the extent that it, it, it was me that chose to do psychedelics. <laughs> this is like that try to be 14 year old shit. Okay. I'm sorry. I still don't <laughs> buy psychedelic drugs made you become like a person that valued relationships in your life. And, and that thing, like, how do you put that together? To me, it's a lot more, it's a lot more because you never had that growing up that you really appreciate that. You could have gone two ways. You could have gone to the point where, oh my God, my friends were always taken away from me, so I'm never going to get close to anyone. Or you could go the other way, which is, oh my God, everyone was taken away from me, so I'm going to hold on to people as much as I can when I find them. You chose the opposite way, which I think is the better way because that is the loving way and that is what we all need as human beings. So, you know, the drugs made you do that? The drugs made you do that? Yeah. I I don't know if you remember, but on my last call that I had with you, I told you I ate way too much acid. But what does that have to do with fostering good relationships in your life and keeping, like, you know, being able to commit to certain people? Well, because when you think you're, when you really look death in the face, your priorities become completely about relationships. Yeah, but I think that what you don't understand is that you were just reliving your childhood when you were doing those drugs. You faced death when you were early on before you even got into drugs. Okay, so I, I just think the drugs were just a reliving of that and a refacing it and you were torturing yourself and recreating those things because that's what we do. We sort of always want to go back to whatever we're comfortable in, even if it's like a fucking horrible situation. We go back to that and we put right. ourselves in that position right. to rework it out. That- before that, when I was looking at death, I was looking, I was self-destructive. I hated myself. Mm-hmm. But you worked After it out, I, so, right, I, okay. When, so what I'm saying is, like, when I was on way too much acid, I realized that everything is connected, and I was going to die anyway, and I didn't need to help. You know, I didn't need to aid and assist in my self-destruction. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what I realized is that every moment is an opportunity to experience something new and to grow and to give. Right, totally. And we are all one thing. We're all one being. Like, okay. We're, uh, totally. I believe that. I mean, I came to those conclusions early on in my badass sort of life where I was going wayward myself without, I wouldn't say through drugs or alcohol, even though I did those things. So maybe you needed acid to do that, but I think people could come to those realizations on their own. And it's not like I'm not sitting here and not sit and, and I'm like anti-drugs and like you can't do acid. I just don't think that they're like, you know, I don't know. Maybe you want to put your realization. Not, on the- I agree with you. They're not, it's not necessary. It's just, exactly. like, it's just the circumstance where in, on, that you By needed. I came to that conclusion. Well, thank yeah. God for acid then, because it definitely got you straight. Straighter it, than it you really were. It really did. Mm-hmm. You know, and honestly, there's a uh, MAPS, uh, I can't remember what it stands for, Multidisciplinary uh, Association of Psychedelic Study. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what the acronym stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're finding out that psilocybin, uh, mushrooms, LSD, DMT, and uh, MDMA, which is the the major compound in ecstasy. Yeah. It's really actually helping people get over post-traumatic stress disorder. And I really feel like I had post-traumatic stress disorder, and maybe I still do, mm-hmm. but hallucinogenics, psychedelics really helped me because it, it kind of dissolved my ego. I don't take myself so seriously anymore. That's why I can fuck a cripple chick. Right. That's why I can cop 
and admit to everything that I do is because I don't take myself seriously anymore because I know I'm going to die. Right. But I, like I, like we just both agreed, like uh, people could come to that realization without that kind of stuff through other forms other than that. I don't know. I was too paranoid to do any kind of psychedelic drugs because I'm afraid of my brain. Okay. Like it's a little fucking scary regularly that I just could never go to those places. I think that's my fear, you know, but I've done a lot of like therapy and for me music, like there's just been different things in my life that I, well, I was able to tap into that part of myself and that bigger belief in everything through other forms of things, you know, whether I, and I don't know what that is like, you know, but it wasn't psychedelic drugs, but that for you, that's the way you got there. And I guess that's like some, it does help certain people. For me, I could have never done that. It would have, I would have wound up in the emergency room. It would have freaked me out too much. Um, I, and there's two trains, like there's different people think there's two sides of that. Like some spiritual people will say that ecstasy like really fucks with your Kundalini, that base of your spine. And it really messes things up. That's why it opens, it opens up that part. But ultimately, since it's a drug, it can fuck it up. So there's a lot, there's two ways you could argue that, but I don't really care to get into a whole thing about drugs. Cause I, you know, I'm not like some sort of advocate either way on it, you know? For me, what I yeah. want to get to, because it's where we started, and now I have a lot more information on your background, is like, why do you think you've done all these drugs, you've had the epiphany, you're just going to die, you don't take things so seriously, so you don't really care if your girlfriend leaves you, you'll find somebody else, and that's fine for you to think that on your own, but why do you bring that, like I said, to your girlfriend and say, here, babe, I want you to know this, so listen to this podcast, and you know, I'm going to tell you straight to your face that you know, if I found someone else, it wouldn't really matter. How how does that work for you? Like, why did you do that, do you think? That was tough. I had a conversation with her about that. That was the hardest part. Like, and I, did, I, I mean, I was so flippant. I was so glib about it. Like, because, okay, so in my own mind and in my own heart, I know I love her. I know. You said that, too. You, you know? said that, right. You I'm said two very so conflicting things. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean... Okay, so this is how I explained it to her. But what did you? What do you mean you explained it to her? Like when you say that was the hardest thing to do, what was the hardest thing to do? Let her listen have that to conversation. it. Conversation. What conversation? No, no, just to have a conversation to where I'm explaining to her what. I, I was essentially I had to define according to me what love is. Mm-hmm. And love, love to me is reality. Love is everything. Okay. If I'm if I. If I say that when I what I what I told her is that I'm in love with her. But what meaning is this? But what, meaning when after she listened to the podcast or before she listened to it? What do you mean? What I'm talking well, about is why did you let her listen to it to begin with? Um, because I think I feel like you brought a lot of truth out of me. Like, mm-hmm. Even though I lied on your podcast. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Don't think I didn't forget about that shit, okay? As far as, like, the time frames go. Yeah. But, I mean, really, what... It's like I told you in that email. Really, what... what it, what The reason why I wanted her to listen to it is because her and I needed to have a conversation. And I didn't know really how to, how to bring it up. Like, she comes home from work. I come home from work. We have our routines. We make dinner. Uh, she watches Game of Thrones. Um, I practice music or pain or do whatever I do and then I go to bed like we have our we have we, we have a routine just like every other couple does mm-hmm. having this having her listen to that podcast was a way for it was a way for me to force a conversation that needed to be had 
And what conversation needed to be had? The conversation of the the real reality of monogamy, really. Right. And that, I forgot about that. Right. That was your thing. You were feeling in your life that you knew at a certain point you were going to go and need to let your freak fag fly because you totally have one even while you're with this woman and you wanted to do it without ruining the relationship, though you had been monogamous for the first time with her for two years, right? But you were starting to yeah. feel that itch. That, like that part of your personality, the part that's like sort of very open and wants to screw a lot of people, was still right. around. I mean, like on, on the one hand, you're telling me that I'm sloppy. But on the other hand, <laughs> I don't want to be, be a good liar. Mm-hmm. I, want her, I want her to accept me absolutely you know, for who I am. And, right. And that, convers- that that podcast forced the conversation to where we had to we had to come clean with each other. Like I had, she knew that I was lying about the time frame. She and the knew. time, the she lying was, was about the girl with the panties. You had a girl. In case people didn't listen to yep. your part one, I'm sure they'll listen to it now if they haven't. Um, in the part one, you sort of explained a story about um, an older woman, a married woman, who would uh, sell you her panties on Craigslist, and then you and she would like because you paid a lot for those panties, as far as I was concerned. I was like, I, well, she just sent them to you in the mail, and you're like, no, she showed up at my house and then took them, off, or she showed up in a car and took them off and gave them to you, and then she started making you porn because you paid her a little uh-huh. bit more for that, right? And so that girl was during this relationship, even though you said you were monogamous in this relationship, right? Uh, there, yeah, there was yeah, there yes. was some there yes. was some overlap there. <laughs> yeah, that's just a yes or no question. <laughs> so it's, yes, it, well, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So you did that during your relationship. So that's where you sort of cheated, and she found out about that. She had known about through that. Your, no, through your podcast, through listening to it, she oh. picked up on that. Okay, right, because she knew about that sort of thing, and you said she's smart, and she sort of picks up on stuff, and so she put two and two together and was like, you did that while we were together. And this is what I always find, though, interesting, and this is what I do believe is passive-aggressive with certain people, and I don't get it, and I think there's a little selfishness that goes in, and maybe you could explain to me your side of things and why you think this is right. When people cheat or they do things behind somebody's back, okay, I don't know if it's already happened and it's in the past and it's not something that you're doing. I don't know what the benefit is from letting somebody else know. Like, I get that you wanted to have the conversation with your girl and say to her, hey, listen, babe, like, I, I, you know me. She was your friend for 10 years, so she knows about all of your ways. She knows you've been with a guy. She knows you, you're not really monogamous. You know, why you can't say to her, listen, I'm starting to get that feeling. I'm still very open sexually, and I'm wondering, and I don't want to cheat on you. I'm wondering if we could go do swinger stuff or whatever together and just bring that into a relationship so I don't have to do it behind your back. Why can't you have that conversation without telling her, hey, Hey, by the way, I got, you know, panties from a married chick in a car while I was dating you. And then she sent me porn where she was like abusing me. You know, like, why does she have to know that? Why do you have to tell her that to get to the conversation? Like, I feel like you could have had that conversation with her without her being hurt by the fact that you did this behind her back. I don't think she needed that. That's see, this is the thing, Kennedy. She she what I wanted for her to get out of it. Is not what she got. 
Yeah, but that's where I don't understand your mentality, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, because there was a lot besides the fact that she was gonna, you know, your girl's smart, right? And she's gonna figure out the panty thing, right? And figure out the timeline. Not only that, you did say on the podcast specifically, and I remember this that you said specifically, like. You kind of don't care as much as you love her. You wouldn't care if she left because at the end of the day, you always know there's somebody else, you know? So there was a couple things that were pretty harsh for her to find out. And because you wanted to have this conversation and that would allow you to like sort of have a more open relationship, you said you were okay with her finding out those other things, which to me are, are like, and, you know, and then are like, oh, she's acting weird after she listened to the podcast. Well, yeah, duh. Because of those other things that you said. You had to have known that she was going to hear that stuff, too. Well, yeah. But, uh, getting back to my past, my childhood, mm-hmm. I expect to be abandoned. I expect to be abandoned. Right. That's where I believe it's sabotage. That's what I'm getting at. I believe there's something underneath that that you try to say that I let her listen to it because of this conversation. But I don't believe that that really is what it is. You know, I, I maybe you were feeling like something it was like pushing someone away sometimes people that have abandonment issues subconsciously push people away through sabotage by doing what they do like you're pretty good at relationships considering okay i'll give you that like you know you have and you have been good with this girl for two years and i do believe that you really love her and what all this bullshit that you do isn't about not loving her and it isn't about your feelings for her it's more about your shit with yourself you know and that's like a little bit of sabotage because to me to hand that information over to her was just Re- retarded and stupid and bound to get to do the opposite of what well, you wanted. That's what I told you at the very beginning of this. I told you I'm an idiot. Right, but you you I gotta am. be smarter than that. Like, I mean, why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't buy that you're that much of an idiot. You seem like you're a pretty smart guy. So I don't believe you're that much of an idiot. Or is it laziness? Like, what is it about your personality that says, hey, I'm going to, like, to get what I want, I'm going to hurt this person and let them know some bad stuff just so that, you know, because I don't feel like, you know, have like having the conversation with her by myself. Are you looking for drama? It's interesting. That's interesting because that's exactly to the point of it, what you just said. Like, I, I really... You know what I want? I want her to be as happy and as fulfilled and as challenged and as appreciated and respected and loved as she possibly can be in this life because she's got this one life to do that. In. Uh-huh. Okay. And if it's not if it's if it's not me, if it's not me that can that can make her feel that way, then she should find somebody else. But I don't know. And I should too. Right, but what, what does I that want. have to do with I want somebody, what you I want said on the podcast? That, if, if you don't know everything about me and you accept or reject me, then your exception or rejection is invalid to me because you're not really making those decisions. You're not making those judgments with full information. You're not, you're not, you don't know. I'm sorry, but I know that's no. bullshit because like, honestly, this girl knew everything about you that to throw, she knew that you blew her no, gay she roommate. Didn't. She knew- didn't That's she know the that thing. she didn't know everything? I was lying. I lied to her. Did I you also to lie to me on that podcast? Because you told me in the podcast that this was a girl that knew that you had sex with a guy. She knew all of your history. Yeah. She was with you. She was your friend for 10 years. So she mo- knew mostly everything about you. Right. Right. 
right? So this is what I believe, okay? I just don't believe that if someone knows that you blew a guy or you weren't monogamous with all of your girls or anything, that throwing a, a panty buying session into the mix is going to change anything. That's still who you are. She still knows you for who you are. I don't think that she needed to know that to accept you more. I think that there's something weird about sort of throwing that on to the person that you're in love with. And it's about sort of trying to push them away as opposed to what you say it was about of like her being accepted and loved. I don't know. You just went on some weird tangent about like, I believe she should be accepted and loved in life as much as possible. And so that's why you made her listen to your podcast and let her know that you could leave her at any time because you could find somebody else and that you kind of cheated on her while you were with her and was doing that. And, you know, and then and on top of it, you wanted her to hear it like you like smudged her face in it a little bit. I just feel like that's a little harsh in a way that you don't yeah. uh, that you, and you spin it in a way that makes you seem like you're doing the right thing but i don't think it's the right thing i don't think it was the right thing for yeah. your relationship not really i think the she right would, yeah she, she would agree with you she would agree with you 100 of course she would i could put myself in her position and understand how that felt like i'm looking at this as an objective person but i'm also looking at it as a woman you know i can understand what you can do and i know guys like you i think that there's a selfishness in that to, in, in in you doing that that speaks to selfishness that speaks to uh you know laziness but it also speaks even deeper to uh, like a commitment issue and a, and a sabotage mentality by somebody that has the biggest fear of abandonment maybe you realize all that stuff about yourself and you were like oh my god i'm like this terrible person i and she's gonna leave me because i'm so i have to let her listen and make sure she accepts me you know it's just is like this crazy thing and it's sabotage you know and then you made her listen to it and then she acted fucking weird and you could be ruining what is a great relationship. And I think you, you know, you, you can have your cake and eat it too if you want. You can be who you are and be loved. Everyone deserves that. Everybody, uh, you know, you can be that person who's open and has an open relationship with somebody and does that without um, sort of making that person feel like they are disposable. And also that you're doing stuff behind their back. Because once you kill the trust in a relationship, you're kind of fucked. You don't want to do that. I don't think she right. needed to know about the panty thing. I really don't. I don't. It doesn't change who you are. She knew who you are. She knew that you have those sort of interests in that kind of stuff. You could have said to her, hey, babe, let's like it's we're in a routine and like let's sort of like try something new to spice things up. You could have done it in a lot of different ways and make her listen to that podcast, or you could have kept that shit out of the podcast and let her listen to it in a different way. You know, that's it. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't, I wanted, honestly, I wanted to keep it out of the podcast, but I put it in the email and you brought it up and I could, I tried to avoid it. If you remember, I don't know. I didn't notice that. You brought, you brought it up and I, and I tried to digress into back into the cuckoo. Oh, <laughs> right. And I tried to put it within kind of, I, I, I love judge Judy. She's like, it's like my favorite show. I just laugh out loud when I watch that show. I love her. And I'm always like, Oh, I judge Judy people. Like I like to back people into corners and ask them questions. And that's how you get the real truth. Cause sometimes people like to spin things. So yeah, you're not going to get away with that if you, cause you told me about it and the thing. So I wanted to right. cover everything because right, it was like good right. shit. You know, but yeah, you shouldn't. That should have been like a that should have been like, OK, you know, because that's in there. I can't let her listen. It was stupid of you. That's right. it. <laughs> well, it wasn't stupid of me. Yes, it was. It's ingenious of me because this is why. OK. Because it, it, it created an environment for us to have a conversation that we needed to have. OK. And that created an intimacy and, it, and a level of trust and an openness and an honesty. 
okay. that is necessary for me to be. Like I told you in the last one, this is the most healthy relationship I've ever had. Yeah, that's why I don't want you to ruin it. Don't you know what I mean? That's why I don't, I don't either. Yeah, like I want. I don't want you to like ruin it. I want you to keep it and do it the right way. You have this great opportunity, you know, especially because she was your friend before and you had this really great foundation. You know, that's a great foundation to build a relationship upon. And she's been pretty cool with you, so I just don't want you to ruin that. So you know, if it, it brought up the good conversation, as long as she could trust you after that that's great right right and that's what really what it was about you know it was just about me, me figuring out ways to have uncomfortable conversations with her because because she's important to me it wasn't because i was trying to put anything in her no but why did you all. but what did you so what did you explain about the panty wearing thing like how does she how does she move how did she move past that she, she just knew she knew anyone? She's like, I already knew that. She, yes, you know. You, you know because you're a woman. Women know everything. Yeah, we can't help it. It's annoying. You can, you can just feel it. You, you can, can just smell it from it, a right? mile away. Yeah, it sucks. It's like I really so wish we were oblivious. That. There was that thing. Because there was something that she knew mm-hmm. that I wasn't being forthright with. Mm-hmm. And me divulging that on your podcast and then ha- me having her listen to it. I knew we were going to ultimately eventually have a conversation and we could finally resolve it. And we did. Okay, that's good then. And it was because then. of your podcast. Okay, so that yeah. is good then. Okay, so I just went on a tangent for no reason. I'm wrong. You're right. <laughs> but what about the part where she hears that you like basically like you could always just find somebody else and blah, blah, blah. Was she upset about that? Yeah, that's the part that she was upset about. Right. So how did you, how did you like fix that? How did you clean that up? Well, that's just true for every relationship. I mean, it's you, you know, you, yeah, I know that you're a fan say, of Lu- yeah. Louis C. Yeah, Louis C.K. Love him. Said that a, a successful, the best case scenario, one of you is going to die. <laughs> right. Uh huh. There's no getting out of having your heart broken. Right. You're going to have your heart broken. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, I, I really believe a fear of commitment is a fear of like an ending. And if you could get to the point in your life where you really realize like you will break up, but you will be OK, then, you know, you're, you're good to go. Because like I think that's what I always feared as a fear of commitment person. I think what I always feared is like sort of that rug being pulled out from under me and not thinking I would ever be able to handle that. So I just never fell in love to begin with until it happened to me. And I realized not only was I OK, like I was better than OK. I work through things pretty quickly in life and I'll be OK. So it just makes me me feel that much more safe to sort of just fall and fall hard for somebody and be and know that when it does go south whether they die or like Louis C cases or something else happens that you know I'll be heartbroken but I'll be able to deal with that do you know who Mahandas Gandhi is no you know who Gandhi is. Oh, Gandhi. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yes, I, I'm sorry. For some reason. Indian guy yeah, I know who Gandhi. And I'm was sorry. fighting against uh, totally. British imperialism. I, I know he Gandhi. He once said something. He said something to me that has stuck with me. So for my whole life, he said that love is the prerogative of the brave. Mm-hmm. A coward is incapable. A coward is incapable of exhibiting love. Love is the, the choice that you make. Totally. To be... 
courageous. Mm-hmm. That's where courage comes from. It's the most ballsy thing you could do because it's the scariest thing yep. you could do. It defies all logic. You can you, ever do. Yeah, it defies all logic. You can't use your brain to do it. You're not in control. It really is the scariest thing. I'm the type of person that I believe, like, whatever I fear, I do it. You know, I I'm afraid of elevators and I live in New York. So that just shows you like for me, if I, I'm afraid of something, I want to do it all the time, you know, and it doesn't even take away my fear. I still don't like elevators, but I force myself to go in them on a daily basis all the time because I believe when you give in to fear and you stay away from it, it, it only makes it stronger, you know, and sometimes facing your fear yep. won't make it go away totally, but it will keep it as as least powerful as it could be in your life, you know. So I like to face all my fears, but recently after doing the baby thing and failing so many times and getting very comfortable with failure, it made me realize, you know, and, and doing medical things was a big fear for me. And I did all of that shit. And then some doing the baby thing and made me realize that my fear of commitment was the next thing I needed to sort of face. And that was a fear. And that was a fear of like failure too, and fear of the ending and not being able to deal with that. And me, and me realizing that I could, and that's what I have to conquer next in my life because that is the ballsier way to go that you know not fa- I have to yeah. face that fear like I face everything else just you know do it and know that I'll be okay and I could it, and it'll be okay that's what makes life fun totally I believe that absolutely you mean facing your fears or falling in yeah. love or both <laughs> both totally but it's the same thing that's what, yeah. what, what you know when I was when I was talking to my girlfriend about what love is it's like this is what I said. I'm already in love. Mm-hmm. I'm in love. I'm just in love with you. You're just with me in love. Right. And you guys are in love together for as long as you choose to be. Right. Mm-hmm. We're in love with each other, but we're both in love separately, in love with life together. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's great. As long as... as as long as she's in love with in love with love, and I'm in love with love, then we'll be in love with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. For as long as you guys decide to to do that with each other, you know, I think what people are afraid of is like that that maybe doesn't last forever. And how do you feel when that person leaves and all that stuff, you know? But yeah, I think that that is what life is about. I think it's very important to face your fears and to do it. I think you do because you have fallen in love more so than I have. Like, I've never been in a longer relationship than, like, two years. That, like I said, that's on my list of to-do. Like, that's the next fear I conquer because I don't know that I really – I'm ready to do it. I haven't really done it. but And I think it's important. I think that's what life's about. It's taking those fears, whatever you're most afraid of. Penises. Really? Oh, my God. I think you should fuck a black guy. No, and then I call want her up to fuck and... a black guy in oh. front of me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that would be fun because that would be facing my fears. I really think I'm. I mean, I'm joking, but I really think that's why guys like watching their girlfriends or wives get fucked by big giant black dudes so much is because it's scary. You don't think that they have like it's some sort of underlying gay tendency? Like maybe that I don't know. They're oh projecting? man, every guy. I, I would say 90% of men have underlying gay tendencies. Right. So, yeah, I don't know what that is all about. I don't want to get too deep into it. I want to wrap up this call in an interesting way. I wanted to wrap it up with Gandhi because that was good, <laughs> even though I didn't know what the fuck he said at first. But, yeah, that was good. I mean, I'm glad you didn't sabotage, sabotage your relationship totally. I think you could have, and you were close. Be a little smarter in the future. Are you going to let her listen to this podcast? I don't, I don't know. Like, are you going to let her listen to this one? You know, I'm going to let her do whatever she wants to do. Okay, but is she? are you going to tell her? Even if that's a big black cock. Even if she wants <laughs> if she says, I want to do a big black cock, I'm going to say, 
Go, go, no, go okay, it. now I know you're definitely going to let her listen to it because you want her to fuck up a guy with a big black hog, and this is going to be your way of having no, a conversation I, I, with I her. Encouraged her. I encouraged her to listen to the last one. I'm not going to encourage, I'm not even going to tell, I'm not even going to tell her that, that I even had another conversation with you. If she wants to listen to it, she should, she should already be listening to all of your podcasts. Oh, because you're a fan and you think they're great, that's why? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why. Right. That's cool. Well, I think everybody should listen to your podcast. But, oh, that's nice of you to but say. But the, the thing is, is like I can't go around telling people to listen to it because they're going to hear me and they're going to go, "Oh my god, I didn't know that about you." <laughs> I know that's the whole and then problem. And then they'll judge me. Listen, I can't even that's tell the anyone. With being anonymous. Yeah, most people. I'm anonymous too. Most people don't know what I do or I have my podcast because I feel like if people knew and they didn't, you know, because people are lazy, right? The To have them actually press play and really listen is, is hard to make. So if they just went to the podcast titles and look, they'd be like, oh my God, Kathy's doing some weird sex show and she's this way or that way. You know, they would totally judge me. So I don't tell most people. They don't even know because um, I can't because... I think you're secretly famous. Really? Secretly? That's good. Infamous. You know what? When I was younger... I was remember exactly where I was. I was on this bus and I was like, I was really bad in school and I was in this Catholic high school and these two, I was a freshman and these two really tough senior girls walked up to me on the bus and they're like, so you're the infamous Kathy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what does that mean? I didn't even know what the word infamous meant. And it was because, <laughs> because I think that's really what I am infamous. I was like known, but not known, you know, I'm like, what the fuck do they mean? And it's because my name was on the loudspeaker every day because I was in trouble every single day and everybody knew who I was without me even really fucking realizing it. But I have a good amount of uh-huh. listeners and I love that and I love to talk to people and do my thing and other people like listening to it. I get emails from people all the time and they enjoy it and it's like it's you know it's I think it's great what I do. I love doing it. I love that people like the people that call in really get something out of it. You know for me the reason why I started is because I like to have these conversations all the time and I think I really backed you into tough corners on the call this time but I feel like you were okay with that and that's why I did it to you because we had had a lot of emails back and forth and stuff but you know people get sick of that shit you know so my friends don't want to hear that shit all the time so I was like, you know, this is like a good way for me to let go of that part of my personality without losing friends. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because people have to really want advice and want the layers pulled back and everything. Sometimes I have a tendency to do that to people when they're not ready and they don't fucking want it. And it's so irritating. And so this way I get to do that with people that actually want it and appreciate it and are looking for right. it. And then I feel good because it's a part of who I am. And then I could give my friends a break. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? That's the way it goes. That's why that's why I do uh-huh. it. So this is like the forum for me to do it. And I'm glad that other people enjoy listening to it. People love to hear about people's lives. And it's like, you know, I'm definitely always grateful for people that call in because you know they're really honest about who they are and what you're talking about on this podcast really helps other people I think that there's different things that people could relate to and I think it's really important and really makes people feel better when they realize that other people there's other people like them out there I agree you know? I completely agree. That's why I love your show. I love I love what you do. Yeah, there was it's a friend perfect. recently that was out of work. and uh, No, yeah, he's out of work, and he read some article about other people that were, and he was this really successful guy, and he's like, you know, it's, it's really made me feel better. It was the most important thing for me to realize, and I believe in that as far as, because we were talking about groups and how I hate groups, but he's like, but when you're in a group and there's other people and you can relate to them, it makes you feel better because we all think we're like these secret weirdos, and we're like the only person, and it's sort of egotistical to think, right? Like, And then you really realize you're like a lot of other people and then there is comfort in that you know it's a better thing to realize you're like everybody else than to live in like some egotistical place where you think you're the only person and you're so fucking weird you know 
you're not really uh-huh. none of us really are so right. it's good that my callers put that stuff out there because other people hear it and they relate and i think that they feel better about themselves because of it and that's great and i just get to hear interesting stuff i get bored really easy in life i love to hear these kind of things i love hearing about real people stuff i think people put themselves out there as such bullshit walking around it's such surface bullshit I like real people. I like flaws. I like these stories because to me they're very real. And you know yep. that I have to keep people anonymous and I do keep them very anonymous is uh, the only way I get these real things because people are judgmental and it's scary to put yourself out there for real. You know, and that's fine because I don't think that people need to know exactly who you are because who are you? You're everybody. You're a lot of fucking people, you know, and yep. that's what's great. Yep. So thanks for calling in again. I'm going to wrap it up because we're already at one hour and 20 minutes. I'd like to keep my podcast only at an hour. But we'll have you call back. I know that. After you do that big black cock okay. thing. <laughs> 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 or you sabotage your relationship right. like an asshole. I don't know what you do next, but there's more there. There's more there. And it was great to talk to you because you let me, like I said, I, I think I was a little harsh to you on this call, but like it was fun. And I think that you were ready for it and you were okay with it, right? I can take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can take it. I've, I've, I've been through worse. Man. No, but I think you want it. I think you like it. I think that it was like what you're ready for in a certain way. And I think that oh, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that's no, cool. it's true, man. I really do appreciate your point of view. I love I appreciate your perspective. Yeah, that's great. Always remember my advice is unprofessional. <laughs> it's like, you know, so someone once gave me an, uh, uh, a review that said, oh, it's like sitting across from your best friend with coffee. And sometimes she's not always right, but whatever it works. And that's the way that it is. I never want people to think like what I say is the end all be all. I'm not a therapist there are, there are a lot of bad therapists out there but there's some really good ones that really know the right thing to say and what's the fuck to do but like for me this is just like you know having a conversation with a friend it's just my opinion well that what what i think is so great about it is that it is anonymous mm-hmm. so you can be you can be honest totally like can you really can you really sit across from your friend and tell them the truth oh yeah i do all the time that's why people can't fucking stand me <laughs> <laughs> I but I don't really care like that's who I am you know I'm like a truth sayer one time someone said to me like what are you the fucking truth police and I'm like yeah actually I am that's I really believe that's one of my God-given talents I believe that's why I was put here I'm hated a lot for it I get a lot of backlash for it but I think that there's a place for it and people need that and you know and that's there's all kinds of people and that's something that I was given um, as a strength and I do do that to people and some people don't like it but that's okay because that's fine with me, you know? I'm just, I love that your mouth can keep up with your brain. <laughs> that's what I'm most impressed by. Dude, you talk so fast. I know. That means you think fast. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's why it's really hard for me. I wrote that stupid book, and I'm like, it's so hard. People don't understand how hard it was for me to write a book and how huge that was for me because writing is so hard for me because it's so slow compared to how fast my brain goes and it's it is really difficult you know to keep up but yeah that's why talking is the best way it comes in my head and out my mouth and it's just easier that's why for me being honest is just really easy for me because it just allows everything to sort of come out without a filter but I feel like in my older age I think when I was younger shit came out in a lot worse way I think I'm much better at sort of dishing out the truth in a way that's not hurtful and a lot of most people don't get hurt by my truth because they really understand that it doesn't come from a judgmental place it just most of the time I like to tell people the truth because I want to help people I really think life is about bettering yourself as a person and you know when my friends are sitting across from me and I'm telling them the truth it's not 
for entertainment purposes it's not to make them feel uncomfortable it's to make them be better people because i think when you face the truth that's like the most powerful thing you could do and that's when you could truly change but most people are so petrified of facing the truth of themselves that they rewrite history and they see themselves in a very different way and they don't want to look in the mirror and they never change and that's that's like not doing the right thing in life i think that that's like breaking the spiritual law yeah definitely you're just dead you're already dead you might as well be dead. I mean, to me, when you die, that's over. Your life is finally, you're done with this fucking bullshit. You know, it's a hard thing. We're in school and we're doing a lot of work and then you're done. But while you're here, you're supposed to be doing work and you should be facing shit. And those moments in life, there's been times where some of my friends have called me and been like, oh my God, I'm so depressed. And I'm like, fucking finally, because your life was pretty bad. The fact that you weren't depressed means that you were in (laughs) denial. And now that you are depressed means you're finally facing the truth. And that's a great place to be because from there you could get to be better and you could finally be happy and you could have have a much better life so i sometimes think that's like a great time in my friend's life you know but other people get a little horrified by that but it's the truth right and you're the catalyst by which a lot of people probably come to that realization yeah and that's what i like to be that is who you know that's a part of what i do for people and i think we're all given different gifts in life whether it's playing the piano it's being the peacemaker it's being the fighter like whatever that is that your role a lot of times whatever it is that's your gift sometimes could be a bad thing but it could also be a good thing so you have to take that and keep doing it and take the bad with the good i take the people that get mad at me for the truth but i'll just keep saying it because i do believe it actually helps a lot of people and we're ending this podcast. Amen. Amen. Let's end it on that. Like Gandhi would <laughs> okay. say. Amen. Cirque. We'll talk to you again. We'll definitely have a part three because it's very interesting and I'm, I believe that there's more there. So keep me posted. Hopefully you won't sabotage your relationship. Instead, you could become swingers and we could talk about how you could have a successful relationship with somebody and be open and swing and all that stuff. Okay? Okay. Keep me posted. Okay, goodbye. Okay, bye. Do you have a story, lifestyle, or situation you can't talk about to anyone, to anyone? Or do you just want to let your freak flag fly and be on the show? Well, Strictly Anonymous wants to hear from you. Send us an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com with your story and your anonymous name. And remember, everything is Strictly Anonymous. Strictly Anonymous.